You're listening to the Small Biz Ahead podcast, brought to you by The Hartford. Welcome to another episode of the Hartford Small Biz Ahead podcast. We're really happy to have you here. My name is Gene Marks, and I am here with my friend and cohort, John Adaconis. John, say hello to the fans. Gene, how's it going? People of the internet, how are you? Yeah, it's good. <laughs> uh, it's good to have you back talking with me as well. And, you know, Carolina, our guest, when we get to her, she's like in the food industry, John, and I know you love that stuff. Anything restaurant related. I'm excited. We get to talk about food, culture, I think a little bit of Miami today. So all the things I love. Very, very cool. So our guest is Carolina Sanchez Irvas. Or um, Carolina, did I pronounce that right? Yes, you did a good job. Thank yeah, you. pretty good, huh? Like I said, I'm a Jewish guy from Philly, so I'm doing my best here. Uh, it is a pleasure to have you on. You are the CEO and founder of CSH Translation uh, down in Miami, Florida. And Carolina, just so you get the inside joke, if you listen to episodes of these podcasts, John is like, John is like a restaurant guy. He's worked in restaurants. He eats in a lot of restaurants. He's all into it. So whenever like the topic of restaurants in the food industry gets brought up, he gets all excited. So just so you know, that's what's going on here. I love it. Thank you so much for having me on, John and Jean. Really excited to be here. Well, we're glad to have you on here. So let me, first of all, I'm going to read out your introduction and then I want to dig into you and your company. So you're the founder and CEO of the award-winning translation company, CSH Translation, located in Miami, Florida. You hold a BA in international studies from Rhodes College and an MA in food studies from NYU. She has lived in, or you have lived in several countries around the world and speaks five languages. You're passionate about a plant-based lifestyle. I particularly like meat, uh, but you also enjoy playing tennis and swimming, which I also enjoy as well. So that's your background. Tell us, Carolina, first of all, about CSH Translation. How did you, um, you know, how did you start the company? How did you get here? And where did you come up with the name CSH Translation? <laughs> <laughs> Wherever could I come up with that? So thanks again for having me on. And um, yeah, so I started the company in 2014. Um, you know, I, I went to graduate school, as you mentioned. And um, after finishing grad school, I sort of thought I would have to go into corporate America and, and do all of that. And I was looking at positions and there was nothing that really fit my interests. You know, my husband's an entrepreneur and his whole side of the family is on our entrepreneurs. So he really encouraged me to do my own thing. And it wasn't something that I had thought of until that moment. And, um, you know, I thought, why not? And so I, I gave it a shot. And growing up, I grew up bilingual. My mom is from Spain. My dad is from Cuba. So uh, I grew up bilingual and speaking Spanish at home was always very important. And I'm very happy that my parents, you know, instilled that sure. in me from a young age, even though, you know, as a child, you kind of push back and you just know, I want to speak English. And no, but I'm glad that they made sure that my sister and I learned Spanish and um, it was so important. I played tennis, as you mentioned. And um, when I was in high school, I had the opportunity to go train in Spain at a mm -hmm. tennis academy. And I lived with kids from all over the world. And that was my first experience away from home. And I was living with kids from all different countries, you know, China, Poland, you know, Hungary, you know, mm -hmm. everywhere. And I remember hearing so many different languages and wanting to speak them all. I wanted to learn something from everybody. And we all sort of exchanged our languages with each other. And so that was kind of my really first experience with all of the languages and had that feeling of wanting to do something with that. And so I went on to study international studies and that's where that came from. And then I studied Italian in college 
and lived there for in Italy, studied over there. So yeah, so then I started the company after grad school and I used that, you know, talent for languages and passion for languages to do something that I loved already and that, you know, in a way I've already been translating my whole life in a way. So, um, you know, when people, friends, acquaintances started asking me, oh, you're the language girl. Can you help us translate this or do something? I said, sure. And I found I really loved it. And I started to pursue that. And that's where CSH translation was born. Um, which is the acronym for my full name. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Well, you know, it's funny. We, you know, The name of my company is the Marts Group. So I'm even less creative than you. Who are your customers for the most part? Are they you know, individuals, companies? Like who do, you, who do you serve? So we serve both companies and individuals. Um, we specialize in financial and legal translation. So we work with a lot of financial services companies, banks, uh, mortgage Good. lenders, uh, and then a lot of law firms. Uh, we we do a lot of immigration work as well, especially here in Miami. Uh, both uh, usually on the individual level, we'll um, translate documents for individuals uh, who need uh, documents for the United States uh, Immigration Services. So yeah, so both customers, both uh, both on the co- corporate and individual side. This conversation though is about running a virtual company, and I thought maybe we could share notes a little bit again before I turn this back over to John. Your company is virtual. Has It's always been virtual. Is that right? Yes, it's always been virtual. All of our, our core business has, has been virtual, um, although we do offer in-person interpretation services, um, but the core business has been virtual. Okay. Do you have employees or contractors? Like I have like 10 employees and about a dozen contractors. I'm curious, like what, what is your general makeup of the business? So we work with contractors, freelance Right. translators that are all over the world. So we have a, a pretty big network of translators um, in five continents um, that we work with on a wow. regular basis. Yeah. Okay. That's great. And, you know, I have some selfish reasons for asking this. Like my wife runs a nonprofit and it's a virtual company as well. She hires contractors to do tutoring. You know, she teaches kids, uh, her nonprofit teaches kids literacy. So she struggles with evaluating contractors virtually. You know, she's not meeting them face to face. I'm kind of curious when you look for those translators that are going to be serving your clients and representing your company and you're not meeting them face to face, is there any, any tips that you have, any mistakes that you've made, you know, when you're sort of evaluating those people? Yeah, that's a great question, Jean, especially in the beginning when I was starting out, um, that process still wasn't defined for me. And I I did make some mistakes along the way in hiring people that weren't um, adequate and didn't do a good job. But over time, um, I've become more strict with my hiring onboarding process, so to speak. So, um, you know, all of our translators go through an initial review process, um, and they send samples of their work. And then um, there's a testing phase, which, you know, they have to complete a test and pass it successfully. And then there's, you know, the interview stage. So, um, and not everybody passes, you know, and, and there's, but we found some great, great people, great talent. So, Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. You know, it's just because this topic has become so relevant because of the pandemic and so many people have, you know, either companies are sending their employees to work from home. Um, and there are many other companies that that have gone virtual and are really considering not returning to the office, you know? So, you know, for those companies that are thinking of giving up the office life and just being completely virtual, what advice do you have for those business owners? What has been your experience? Well, you know, I definitely think there's a big push towards more working from home. And when I speak to clients who have been in a traditional office setting and now they're working from home and now some have to go back, they're really kind of pushing back. And I think a lot of people got used to the, the freedom from of the working from home. 
you know, you can be productive if you're working from home. I think it's important to have ground rules and, and a system in place. And for, for my business, translators have always worked this way. They're, they've always been freelance. So it was really no difference. Um, you know, they always have worked from home. So um, I was lucky in that regard. I didn't have to, you know, modify really anything in terms of how they worked. So okay. you know, as long as they do their job, then we're good on our end. Have your clients, have they given you any pushback, you know, to your, the way your organization is? Do they care? No, no. And honestly, most translation companies are not brick and mortar locations just because uh, it's not something that you just usually walk in off the street or everything is done virtually. Documents are all sent virtually. We don't really handle, you know, original documents or anything like that. Um, we, we can provide the originals, of course, but, you know, we don't take the original documents. So there's really no, no real benefit to a brick and mortar location unless you have a big office location with, you know, hundreds of translators working for you or something. My company itself is completely virtual. We've been virtual since 2005. So there's a few reasons why. Um, number one is because I hate people and hate being around them. So that's uh, a big part. And then secondly, also is, uh, you know, we were able to cut overhead. And third, when we did have an office in Philadelphia, because the nature of my company, which is like a technology services company, nobody was coming to the office. You know, they were all like you. I mean, they were they were dealing directly with our clients in their own way. And, you know, I'd be sitting in the office paying rent and twiddling my thumbs. So we shut it down. So my experience has been um, it's cut overhead. So that's good. Um, but I, sometimes I feel like I'm running the world's most dysfunctional company. We never see each other face to face. We have like no culture in our company. You know what I mean? Like everybody's just kind of out doing their own thing. It's a company, but it's not like, you know, you see some company, like the Hartford is a perfect example. I mean, you know, they've got employees there and they've got employee events and, you know, there's a social life there and a community within the company. Do you miss that? Do you think that that's something that your company is missing? Do you care? Uh, do you hate people like I do? <laughs> <laughs> Those are all great questions. You know, um, I, I don't miss like a, a corporate environment or any kind of physical environment. I, you know, of course, sometimes you do feel like a, a translation, translation work can, can be isolated because you're just, you know, sitting in front of a computer all day and, and translating words. And um, so in that regard, yes. Um, but, you know, I do try to have a personal touch with my clients and I do try to, you know, you know, I think it's important to keep in touch with people, have coffee with people. Um, right. send a personal note and do things like that um, to make it so it's not just you're talking to someone on an email all the time. Um, and so, you know, since a lot of our core business is right here in Miami, I get to do that, you know, often. So that's nice in that regard. Yeah. And I found that with the people that work for me as well, they, they I mean, listen, they, you know, they hate me too. So it's like mutual. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're happy to be working on their own. Um, even the virtual meetings when so many people are going to Zoom, uh, yeah, a lot of people I work with, a few of my employees, they're like, I'd really not even prefer to be on video. No offense, you know, Gene, you got, you know, a face for radio and, but also I'm in my bathrobe and, you know, whatever. So there's been that kind of, you know, kind of thing. Again, I'm dealing with tech people, so it's different. Speaking about tech, um, can you share with us, Carolina, like what technologies do you use to run your company? Do you have, um, a platform? Do you guys use office you can name specific you know application i'm just kind of curious what you're using and how that compares to my company yeah sure so um we use cat tools that just helps it's still 100 human translation but it just assists in the quality process of doing the translation um, right. so those are really helpful 
one particular one I like is WordFast, um, but there are a lot of different ones. Um, and then each translator sort of uses what they're comfortable with. You know, we use like an accounting software and I really like Wave. It's, I mean, there are many out there. Um, I like Wave Accounting. Um, I yep. use a CRM for my email, my inbox, just to keep things organized and, and you know, tidy boxes. Squarespace uh, to run our, our website and mailing service like MailChimp um, for newsletters. Um, I really like Canva a lot. I don't know if you've heard yeah. of Canva. I like that yep. as well. And then like Google Business Suite, you know, for email and things like that is good too. Wow. So, so yeah, so you're using it all. That is great. And other than the translation tools, I'm definitely familiar with those. You're right about Canva, great tool for doing design, um, you know, for your artwork and for you know social media, um, even your website. I'm assuming that's the kind of stuff that you use it for. Yes, definitely. Yeah, LinkedIn and things like that, where you know you need to create a post or something. I think it's really great. That is great. So that that just that'll be my last question. I'll turn things over to John. So you're working from home. You've got vir- your people working from home as well. That's what it's all about when you're having a virtual company. Um, but you know there are there, stuff comes up. There's distractions. It happens all the time. I see people with their dogs. My dog barks in the background. The whole thing. So is is that an issue with you? I mean, or do you think that's an issue with your clients? Is that or it seems like that's just not a big deal anymore? No, it's really not. Um, you know, I take my phone calls, and um, you know, my bird's not usually here. She doesn't live here with me full time. She's visiting, but you know, it's it's usually you know, quiet in my environment. I just take my phone calls and, you know, people really don't care. Um, you know, like I said, translation businesses, they're usually virtual anyway. So um, I don't really think that it's something people, you know, ask too much about, you know, sometimes people will ask, Oh, where, where's your office? Or can I come and, you know, drop documents off? Some people like to do that. Um, but sure. you know, we accommodate to meet people when they want to, when we need to drop off documents to them or provide the originals and things like that. Got it. Okay, that's great. Oh, and you know, one final question, and then John, I'll turn it over to you. Sorry, the you were mentioning all the different technology platforms. Do you guys have like a phone service that you use? I'm kind of curious if you do and what you do. I use Google Voice. I don't know okay. if you've heard of that. Yeah. So we use virtual PBX. There's a few of them out there, like Grasshoppers, another one that competes with them, um, where I think we pay like 10 or 12 bucks a mailbox, uh, you know, a, a voicemail box. But like, if you call my office, it's like an 800 number and then it's the dial by name directory and then it forwards it to people's cell phones. Um, so it's just, a, or, you know, you can get hardware as well if you want to. Oh, and, yeah, just throwing that out because it's just that way we can have an 800 number and, you know, and then, and it does voicemails and all that stuff. So it's sort of, a, a, you know, more of a sort of a corporate looking, you know, environment. So um, anyway, that's what we use. I was curious to hear what you're doing. Google Voice is great as well. I think I'm out of questions, at least related to your business. I have lots of questions about food and food recommendations you might have, but we're just going to have to pass on that for another day. Um, John, I'm taking up all of Carolina's time and I apologize, but uh, let me turn things over to you. No, it's a good conversation <clears throat> um, and appreciate it. And Carolina, so I want to dig in a little bit on on kind of who you are and how you ended up in translation a little bit. So kind of seeing your background as Gene kicked off, you know, food studies is a is an interesting way to get into translation. And just kind of curious a little bit about your journey there. And when to your point, when you were finishing school and looking for a job, like what what is it that you thought you would do before you kind of ended up here? That's a great question. So, um, you know, I was really passionate initially about um, healthy eating. And I started getting into that in college. I had a professor that did a lecture on GMOs, genetically modified organisms. And that really just piqued my interest. I had never heard of them until that point. And I was shocked that we were eating that and that was in our food supply. 
Um, and so I really just dug in and started doing as much research as I could. And I really became passionate about it. And then I started learning about how the whole food system works in this country and elsewhere. And so um, when I saw that master's program at NYU, I applied for it. And so I studied that and I thought that I would get a job in something with food policy related or, or something of that nature. Um, but there weren't many positions in that in my field. And I was really passionate about plant-based nutrition specifically. And, um, you know, the positions I were looking at weren't, didn't really fit my interests. And so I was sort of at a standstill where I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, so I thought I would start my own food consulting company. Um, and I tried that for a little while and, um, that didn't really pan out the way that I had hoped. Then I started to get requests for language translation um, because people knew about this other side of me, which was the languages. And I started to do that for friends and then, you know, kind of started just getting the word out. And I started to look for opportunities in translation. And I, you know, was doing other, you know, odd jobs on the side. I was tutoring at a local school and substitute teaching there and um, teaching Spanish and stuff like that. Um, until I could get my business off the ground and do the translation full time. Awesome. So when you started kind of picking up the translation part, you know, did it start with things that were more closely related to food? Like was it menu and and were there categories? Because to kind of get into legal, I feel like legal language is almost its own language, regardless of kind of origin. It's just such a specific way of talking. Like how did you kind of get into that space or or were you kind of always interested, it sounds like, maybe in public policy or have a little bit of a background or education, you know, in the legal system at all. Yeah. So, you know, it started, it started, I was just accepting whatever came my way. So it was very, it was varied. you know, it started with, I, I mean, I did marketing, I did so many different things. And then um, I started to get a couple legal requests. And, you know, at first it was like, you know, I, I'm not really, I don't know, you know, there's that feeling when you're a lot of entrepreneurs and, you know, business owners have this like, you know, an imposter syndrome where it's like, I, I don't know this. I don't know if I can do this. And, but I did it. I said, you know what, like, I'm going to do this because this is what I want to do. And this is what I want to be, what, what my business wants to be. So I've got to, you know, step it up. And so I spent hours, you know, I, I learned the legalese, I, you know, researched it. I read contracts, I read samples. I, you know, I did all the, the legwork and, I really became specialized in that um, over the years. So even though that wasn't my background, and I, I mean, I did have a little bit through the international relations, but you know, I wasn't a lawyer per se. So, um, but you got to do what you got to do, especially at the beginning when there's not many clients coming through the door, and I wasn't in a position to turn people away. So that's where that started. No, it's true. I, you know, I think it's it's a common theme that we hear and talk about a lot is kind of, it's only never been done until you do it. And sometimes you just have to kind of come from that place of yes, and I'm going to figure it out. And, and, you know, that it becomes a, an interesting or kind of niche niche thing. So when you started to kind of grow that part of the business and start to kind of take off, like, was it something you really kind of had to sell or was it more because you were kind of the only game in town, people started to find you or recommendation based? Like how did you start to kind of build your book of business? Well, I think really, for me, the biggest was, I think, word of mouth. And I think that 
when clients were happy with the work I was doing, um, they recommended me to others and other, you know, law firms, you know, people within their law firm or, or the bank or whatever the company was, they would say, Hey, do you know anyone for translation? We need to, you know, the legal department needs something or the marketing department needs something. And so it's sort of, that's how my name started to circulate. We even did a big translation a few years ago where we did the translation for both counsel and opposing counsel. And I, I think they recommended me to one another. And so it was a huge, uh, huge, huge, uh, <laughs> undertaking um, with like over a hundred thousand documents within like a week span of time. And um, I had just gotten injured, like I had like a leg injury and I had to be sitting for, you know, like 12, 15 hours a day. So it was crazy, but you know, those are the things that you do and that, you know, makes it an awesome experience and you learn from it and you grow for it. No, that's, uh, that's incredible. And that must be like an interesting position to be in because you're kind of seeing both sides of, um, you know, I feel like especially in law, you can get a very one-sided point of view if you're only supporting one side of the argument. Um, so that's that must have been just been an interesting experience altogether. Yes, it was. I learned a lot. I, that's what I, the other thing I love is I learned so much from, you know, whatever the translation is. I always learn something new every day. I bet. Um, now, talking about that a little bit. So, you know, you mentioned you grew up bilingual. Um, how many languages do you speak today? I speak five. And did you pick those up kind of over the course of like education or just out of interest or a hobby? Like how, how and when did you start to kind of like add into your toolbox there? So I, I studied Italian in college after that. Um, when I went to NYU, even though I was studying food studies, I wanted to learn languages on the side. And so I got special permission from my program to take undergraduate courses, which, you know, I probably shouldn't be saying that, but <laughs> they let me do it. Um, even as a grad student, I took Portuguese uh, and then I took Russian. So I picked both of those up um, when I was getting my master's. Yeah. And I mean, I try to keep learning every day. I love languages. You know, I'm trying to learn French. I, I'd love to learn Mandarin. I think that would be amazing. Yeah. There's just so many languages that I, I would love to learn. It's funny, you know, as I've gotten older, I've had more of a keen interest in trying to learn other languages. Um, I grew up in a house that was it was English. My grandmother spoke a little bit of Italian when I was super young and I could kind of, you know, you start to understand it contextually. And I ended up taking it in college, too. But it was interesting because in high school, I, I didn't really probably commit as well as I should have. And now it's one of those things I kick myself for every year as an adult where you know, it's it's such a beautiful thing to be able to communicate. And I don't think, you know, we always understand that, especially with them. Um, I think growing up in a traditionally American culture, right, kind of how important or how beneficial it can be to speak in someone else's native tongue, especially kind of as you grow in the world. Yes, definitely. No, and I, I bet if you tried to pick up Italian, you know, just because you had that background, it'd probably be easier for you too. one day. We'll try it. We'll see if we can do an Italian language podcast by the end of next year, yes. I will <laughs> I can have you grade it. Um, awesome. I think, you know, the, the other thing I'm, I'm kind of keen on is how, when you think about how many languages you speak and how much thinking and interpreting that, that kind of requires, when you hear things and when you're kind of thinking through these legal contracts, like, what's that process like in your mind? You know, are you interpreting it as English and then like immediately kind of translating it four ways? Like how... How does that kind of impact you when you come across like written or spoken word? 
first I sort of read over the document and kind of understand the context of it. And then I start to sort of from a, a macro point of view. And then I really, you know, hone in on the micro, you know, sentence per sentence, word for word type thing. Um, and then, of course, there's like many revisions that happen. You know, there's the initial translation and then I, you know, leave a bunch of notes for myself, you know, come back to this, you know, rethink this or reword that. And I think that's how, you know, that editing process goes with any writing. But um, yeah, you really have to think about things. I think, you know, with legal and uh, things like medical or financial, there's really not much room for creativity. So in right. some ways, in some ways it's easier, in some ways it's harder because of course the terminology is harder. You got to find, you know, each country has different laws. There's different, you know, terms for things. Um, but with medical, you know, since everything, you know, the Latin root, you know, and, and so there's not a lot of room for creativity. You know what I'm saying? So it's like a pancreas is a pancreas is a pancreas and, you know, in any language. But with things like marketing, there's more transcreation that happens. That's that's more of, of an adaptation of the text. So, you know, things like metaphors or jokes or or things that have to be sort of, you know, carefully crafted into the other language. It's not it can't be a word for word. Um, and I've seen some awful, horrendous examples of, of word for word. I'm sure you have too, um, of marketing like that. So yeah, it really has to be an adaptation of the text. And that requires a lot more creativity than the financial or legal part of it. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't think people always catch that. And to your point, it, it you usually learn about it when it becomes a little bit of a scandal or kind of a PR fail, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a good takeaway for our audience if you are thinking about translating your marketing specifically into another language do yourself a favor and find someone who really understands the language because i don't think google translate always gives you the best um adaptation and and sometimes what you're saying is not what's being received so definitely you must i could only imagine kind of the the internal dialogue you have to have with some clients there it's like i know you're trying to say this but what you actually are saying is is something yes. completely different <laughs> That's definitely good advice, John. <laughs> awesome. Well, Carolina, I, I think we're almost about time, but I want to, you know, see if there's anything else you might want to add to kind of to the conversation or anything else you'd like to kind of talk to. Um, well, you know, I think that, you know, I, I've noticed that a lot of people, um, when I first started my company and I told people I have my own company, people said, oh, you know, that's cool. Um, but now I've, I've seen a shift where people are like, oh, that's really cool. Tell me more about it. because you know, I really want to start something or, you know, it's my dream to start something. And I think there, I think even with COVID, there's been more of a shift. I don't know if you've noticed this with any of your other guests, but if there's a bigger shift towards, I mean, the working from home, but also from st for starting something of your own um, and not being tied to a particular company or, um, and so I think that's an interesting trend that's sort of going on right now. And um, people are, you know, wanting to start their own thing. And so, I think that's cool. And, um, you know, Miami, I mean, this country is built on small businesses and uh, Miami is full of them too. And I think it's a great place for it. So yeah, I hope to see you all here in Miami. Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah. I think that entrepreneurism, you know, it's, it's not going anywhere. And to your point, I think since the pandemic happened, um, it, it's a trend I don't think we're going to see go away. I think that people have realized that planning for things the way that we've probably all been taught to growing up and and the kind of linear steps you can take in life, that's not always guaranteed. And there's there's something really kind of interesting about charting your own course. And and I think it's it's kind of made us all be a little bit braver and bolder. So if there's a silver lining, you know, maybe maybe that's it. Yes, definitely. Definitely. 
Awesome. Well, thank you again, Carolina, for the time today. Gene, thank you for a great conversation. Thank you, Carolina. That was awesome. And best of luck to you. Thank you both for having me on. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, again, we'll have you come grade when I can at least fluently speak a couple sentences. Okay. <laughs> and, and to our listeners, thank you. We wouldn't be here without you. We appreciate you spending some time with us and, and we'll keep an eye out for you on the next one. In the meantime, if you're interested in getting more insights or advice for your small business, make sure you check out the blog sba.thehartford.com. And if you are listening to this on any of our audio platforms, make sure you rate and subscribe us. It helps us out. Leave us a comments. Let us know what you think and what you'd like to hear about next. And we will catch you on the next episode. Bye.